Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good evening, Blue Jays fans. Yes, this may sound a little bit different right off the bat. It's Brandon Panikar flying solo today. No Craig Borden. Conflicting schedules. You know, the summer's heating up. It's going to be a lot of things to do over the next few weekends. Raptors force a game, or the Golden State Warriors force a game six. So we were thinking to get us both on, we were going to do a show on Thursday. But after the Raptors dropped game five last night at Scotiabank Arena, we're not going to record on Thursday. The Raptors have another chance to win the NBA title. And then tomorrow does not work. And Friday, I'm up at a cottage. So... This is a little bit different uh, in terms of setup. No guess. It's just me. We'll see how long this goes for. Hopefully still be able to provide you with some good Toronto Blue Jays content. Craig is going to do his own solo show unless he can find himself a guest for Thursday. So, yeah, I guess he kind of got split Wednesday wallops. So a little bit of an agenda for what we're going to cover today before we go into things and then what you can expect to listen from Craig on Thursday night when he records his show and puts it out Thursday night and Friday morning for your weekend commutes. Going to go over the Yankees series and the Diamondbacks series. Started off the homestand really, really promising, winning two games against the Yankees, and then the wheels just fell off, especially so against the Arizona Diamondbacks, where the Blue Jays were outscored by a large margin. They only were able to score four runs in the entire series against Arizona. Two on Friday night and two on Sunday. They got shut out by a great pitching performance by Zach Greinke on Saturday. Blue Jays had the day off yesterday, so everybody's paying attention to the Raptors, obviously, which they probably still are because this team is not very fun to watch right now. That's honestly plain and simple. It's just what it is at this point with the Toronto Blue Jays. They are about to, in half an hour's time, at 7.05 p.m., start a series with a team that's actually worse than them in the Baltimore Orioles at Camden Yards. So we'll touch on that series. And then Craig will bring you on Thursday's episode. He will go into the Orioles series, recap how things went, probably give you an update on Game 6 of the Raptors on Thursday, and then probably touch on the Houston Astros series where the Blue Jays will play this weekend for three games, 8-10 on Friday, 4-10 on Saturday, and 2-10 on Sunday the 16th. And then for a change, there is no Monday off day, but 
Craig and I will be back together next week. You can be sure of that. So, a little bit different of a show today. may not be the same length that you are used to, but hopefully things don't sound too dire. But it's kind of impossible to not sound dire right now. If you want some good news right off the bat, Blue Jays are having some of their young arms and position player who will be in the bigs very soon, Rehab, TJ Zoik from our friend Ryan DeFrancesco was dominating through two innings in his Florida State League start today. Five strikeouts, throwing 41 pitches. He was throwing 28 for strikes. You know, if TJ Zoik was healthy at the beginning of the year, pitching well, he probably would be up here in the big league rotation right now. He was the first round draft pick in the first draft of the Shapiro and Atkins regime in 2016. So, Big things are expected of Zoik. Ryan provided us with an update not long after his two-inning update. He had two more strikeouts in third inning for 49 total pitches, 35 were for strikes, and his official line as of one hour ago, four innings, seven strikeouts, one hit, one walk, 60 pitches, 42 for strikes. Very, very good. He looks MLB-ready. He's at 20, he's added 20 pounds this offseason, and he will probably get maybe one more start in the Florida State League, maybe not. He could be sent straight to Buffalo, where the Bison's rotation continues to not pitch overly well and not look good, although Sean B. Foley has looked better over the last few starts for him, but still, I would imagine TJ Zoit gets to Buffalo before long, and then shortly after that we will see TJ Zoic in a Blue Jay uniform. I wonder, it is possible, because the Blue Jays are just so desperate for arms, I think the title of this episode is going to be We Don't Have Anybody Else. That's right, the Blue Jays are giving Edwin Jackson a, another start. That is tomorrow night against David Hess in Baltimore. Maybe Jackson will buy himself a start after that because he's facing a pretty lowly Baltimore Orioles offense other than guys like Trey Mancini. Dwight Smith Jr., who's had a decent season, started off really well and has kind of cooled off since, is, I believe, still on the seven-day concussion injured list. He may be back. I don't think he will be. doesn't seem that way, but as of the last time I saw, he was on the seven-day injured list. But yeah, the Blue Jays don't have anybody else, so TJ Zoic pitching well today. Hopefully getting called up to the big leagues shortly after that will be able to provide the Blue Jays with a young arm to dream on. We will see what happens. Bo Bichette also got into action today and rehab. Start all went pretty well from what I hear. You'd imagine that he would join the Buffalo Bisons relatively soon. And my guess is the end of July maybe after the trade deadline if some guys like Freddie Galvis or other veterans are shipped off and they need to fill some holes in the roster, that Bo Bichette gets up here after the trade deadline. And then John Harris also back um, as well. So John Harris, who is dealing with an injury, is getting back into pitching shape and ready to go in AAA. So there could be some guys getting calls up over the next little while. You never know. 
I do think TJ Zoic could be a decent mid to back end of the rotation arm. And John Harris, who is draft pick of the Anthopolis regime, also could be somebody that we see up here before too long if he pits together a few decent starts in Buffalo. You know, now that we've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of the Buffalo Bisons, Craig will probably be bringing you some more in-depth minor league coverage. He is the minor league guru after all. But yeah, it's been better so far for guys like Sean Reed Foley. He's gotten much better over the last little while. But other guys continue to struggle like no tomorrow. If you go through the individual stats pitching-wise for the Bisons in 61 and a third innings, for Sean Reed Foley, he is 3-3 three and three with a 5.72 ERA in 11 games started. Sean Moramondo in the exact same 11 games started, but 53.1 innings, a 6.41 ERA. Jacob Wagaspak, who was actually up in the big league club but on the injured list, had nine starts with Buffalo in 43 innings, a 5.86 ERA. You get the point. It's not very good right now. Although, Andrew Sopko is up. He got off to a decent start with the Bisons. And he could be an arm that plays into consideration before long, but the last few starts for Sopko haven't been very good. He got absolutely rocked in two starts ago on the 3rd of June, where he went three and two-thirds, gave up nine hits and eight earned runs, walked two, and struck out three. But Sopko was looking pretty promising down in double-A for a little while, so Another arm that could play into the Blue Jays' rotation before long. Especially if there are trades. Edwin Jackson keeps on pitching like a bum and keeps on getting starts and getting rocked. I, If I was predicting what would happen over the next little while with Edwin Jackson, my guess is he buys himself one more start. And at this point, that's what the Blue Jays need to just try to get some innings out of their starting rotation, a rotation that is completely decimated right now. It has not been overly good. Stroman wasn't his normal good self on Friday against Arizona. Stroman will actually be going on Thursday in Baltimore, so that could be exactly what he needs to get back on track. Aaron Sanchez at this point, Sanchez was Decent for a little while against the Diamondbacks on Saturday afternoon, a game I was actually in attendance for. But you get the point. It's pretty bleak in the Blue Jays' rotation right now, though Trent Thornton really has turned things around in the last little while, which has been nice to see. All right, so let's quickly go back over the Yankees series. I want to touch on that one a little bit. I was at the game on Tuesday, the 4th, against the Yankees when Clayton Richard went out there and actually pitched much better than I thought he would have going into that start. Richard went four and two-thirds, gave up two earned runs, only four hits, struck up four. He walked three, so his command wasn't overly good. Gave up one home run in the fourth against Clint Frazier, which was an absolute bomb. But Clayton Richard was effective enough, and Thomas Pannone came in and pitched a third of an inning to clean it up for Clayton Richard and... The stupid pitcher winced at Pannone because he got that third of an inning. The Blue Jays held on to their lead after the four runs they got off of Masahiro Tanaka were able to pull it out, and Pannone got the win. Bit of controversy in this game. Angel Hernandez, behind home plate, 
missed a blatant strike three call. Absolutely blatant. It's the most obvious strike call you could ever call. And he didn't call it a strike. Tanaka standing out there on the mound, just like, what the hell, man? Why wasn't that a strike? Next pitch, I believe it was the next pitch after that, Gritchick homered and put the Blue Jays ahead. And then Freddie Galvis also followed up just a few batters later with a two-run shot, and the Blue Jays were in flight off of Masahiro Tanaka. Unfortunate, but... When you're a bad team like the Toronto Blue Jays and you can get a win no matter how you do it, it is never a bad thing. But yeah, they got they got the win against the Yankees on the fourth. Uh, Panone, as I mentioned, came in. Daniel Hudson got a hold. Joe Biagini got a hold. And Ken Giles, who we've rarely seen this season in save opportunities, got a hold. Or sorry, got a save his 11th of the season. He did struggle with his command. He walked two guys but struck out three and Ken Giles continues to be absolutely dominant for the Blue Jays this season. And then Wednesday, when everybody was watching Game 4, or I guess, yeah, no, Game 3 of the Toronto Raptors and Golden State Warriors, not many people would have seen this, but the Blue Jays down late in the game, in the fifth inning, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. comes up, Huge for the Blue Jays. Absolutely huge. He With two runners on, down a few runs, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits a three-run home run to put the Blue Jays ahead by one. Brandon Jury follows that up just a few batters later with a home run of his own. It was quite an inning for the Blue Jays off of the Baltimore bullpen. And the pitch that Vlad hit out of the yard off of Zach Britton, if I'm recalling this correctly from the tweet that I saw somebody put out there, it was the first slider off Zach Britton out of the zone, I believe. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Send us a voice message. Correct me if I'm wrong. But the first ever slider out of the strike zone in 2,500 sliders that Zach Britton has thrown in his career. And it went out of the yard. It was the first one to ever be homered and taken out of the ballpark for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the Blue Jays were able to win that game, too. Trent Thornton went out there, five innings, four in runs, three walks, and four Ks. Gave up a home run. Blue Jays chased James Paxton, who was making his first start in Toronto since throwing the no-hitter a season ago with the Seattle Mariners. Was not overly effective. Four and two-thirds, four runs, three earned, three walks, and four strikeouts. Not that sim or actually quite a similar line to that of Trent Thornton. Derek Law followed it up, gave up three runs, but Gavilio and then again Ken Giles pitched on Wednesday, struck out two, gave up one hit, lowered his ERA to one point oh eight. Ken Giles has been absolutely incredible. And the Blue Jays won that one too, eleven to seven. So the homestand, you're thinking, hey, got off to a great start. Things are looking okay. Kinda floating. Maybe you get a 500 homestand, which at this point is a huge win for the state of the Toronto Blue Jays. And then the wheels completely fell off. Because, what do you know, on Thursday, when they lost 6-2 to the Yankees, Edwin Jackson made the start. Many were thinking, why is Edwin Jackson making another start? Well, they don't have anybody else. 
So Jackson went out there against the Yankees. They gave him a they gave him a start, one that he probably, definitely, absolutely did not earn, and he continued to not pitch very well. Jackson though was a victim of a few errors in the field, um, and only two of the runs were earned for Edwin Jackson. But still, he gave up six runs over three and a third inning. ERA ballooned to eleven point nine zero. Two home runs allowed. Thomas Pannone in the bullpen pitched really well the rest of the way, shutting out the Yankees. Pannone went three and two-thirds, gave up one hit, struck out one, and walked one. To Meza, struck out one in an inning, and then Luciano closed it out with a scoreless inning of his own. But it marked the return of Jay Happ, who went seven innings, struck out four, allowed one home run, but it was nice to see Hap back out there. It absolutely was. He got a nice cheer when he was introduced to the crowd, and he got the win. It, it actually looked very much like vintage J. Hap that Blue Jays fans grew to know and love in his second stint as a Blue Jay from 2016 until the deadline of 2018 when he was shipped to the Yankees. Honestly, seeing Hap out there, his familiar wind-up sitting from the 500 level, where I was on Thursday on Pride Night. Uh, it uh, it was nice seeing him again back at the Rogers Center. It really was. And it was classic Hap. Seven innings, four hits, one earned run, four strikeouts. The only run he gave up was a home run to Eric Sogard in the sixth inning. Eric Sogard's fifth of the season. But yeah, I will say I commend the Blue Jays organization for putting on an absolutely fantastic Pride Night. Something that I wish a lot more baseball teams would do across the big leagues. It is starting to become something big league teams are focusing on and making sure they have a pride night. Uh, the hoodie they give away is absolutely gorgeous. A nice black hooded Henley is what it's called with a rainbow Blue Jays logo right in the middle of it. So girlfriend and I went for that game. Um Obviously didn't get to see the win, but the Hooded Henley was a very nice consolation prize to get. And it was a great night. There was a, a pretty good crowd on Thursday. Actually, pretty good crowds the entire series, to be completely honest with you. Tuesday was pretty good, uh, but there was an added boost. There was 25000 at the Rogers Center on Pride Night. Um, great job by Blue Jays organization. I really wish more teams would do it. But... The wheels continue to fall off as you go over the Arizona Diamondbacks series. Diamondbacks on Friday win 8-2. Marcus Stroman wasn't overly good. Uh, Merrill Kelly, who was supposed to start Saturday, got pushed up to Friday so they could give Zach Granke an extra day's rest. Merrill Kelly went 7, gave up just one earned run and struck out three guys. Stroman gave up six earned runs. He was not very good uh, on Friday. Rare mishap for Marcus Stroman this year, who, with Ken Giles, is the Blue Jays' biggest trade ship. And Saturday, another game. I was actually at three games last week, but the Blue Jays got shut out. Zach Granke went this day. It was the first time I think I saw Zach Granke in years since he went to the National League. I saw him once way back when, when he was with the Kansas City Royals, but Granke Went six, struck out seven, just walked two, no no runs allowed. Lowered his ERA to 287. Aaron Sanchez, six innings, five earned runs. Walked four and gave up three strikeouts. So there wasn't a whole lot to cheer about on this day. And 
the Blue Jays still had a chance to make it a 500 homestand, which, as mentioned earlier, would have been fantastic. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, why does it really matter at this point? You just got to continue to see these guys get better. Try to put something together. But Clayton Richard was absolutely pathetic. Gave up seven earned runs in two and two-thirds innings. And again, just like after Edwin Jackson came out and gave up six runs, the bullpen shut it down the rest of the way. Panola gave up one earned run, continued to lower his ERA. And then Derek Law pitched two good innings. Luciano pitched two good innings. And Biagini wrapped up the ninth with a scoreless inning and two strikeouts of his own. Robbie Ray, who went for the Diamondbacks, big strikeout guy, struck out 10 Blue Jays in six and two-thirds. He went into the seventh inning. So you get it. It was not a very good homestand for the Blue Jays at all. It was borderline unwatchable. Obviously, the city is on high with the Toronto Raptors. And it's still a very good thing that the Raptors are playing because it's really hiding the Blue Jays from the front page headlines. So there isn't a whole lot about to be excited about going down to the Dome at this point. It really isn't a fun place to be. And I completely understand people who are frustrated with this team. But when you you think about it, there really is nothing that they can do. There are some people on this team who Ross Atkins definitely, and understandably so, thought would be better this season. There's people who's taken step backs. It seems like the only person who has lived up to expectations thus far for the Blue Jays has been Justin Smoke, who is near the tops. He's in the top 5% of the league in expected slugging, according to StatCast. And he's in the top 4% of the league for expected weighted on-base average at 421. Is expected slugging, 578. And he's barreled the ball 14.3% of the time. He's had a fantastic season, but Justin Smoke can't be the only guy who contributes to this offense with his 12 home runs. Grichik has added power, but there hasn't been a whole lot else from Randall Grichik this year. His hard hit percentage is at 36.4%. His exit velocity, 88.3%. But despite a 224 batting average, his expected batting average is only 202. And his OBP is 282. I do believe... That Randall Grichik is below the 100 weighted runs created plus department. Hasn't been especially a good series, but I did want to touch on Randall Grichik for a bit here uh, before we move on to some other stats from guys who just haven't been performing so far and before we wrap things up by going over the Baltimore series. People were starting to complain on Sunday about Randall Grichik already getting this contract extension. I know Craig and I talked about this, I believe, on the last show or the show before about the decision to put Teoscar Hernandez in center. And if that's the case, why did you sign Randall Grichik to a five-year, $52 million extension? Look, a lot of this money for Grichik is up front when the Blue Jays aren't expected to be very good. When they are expected to be good again two, maybe three years down the road, then a lot of the money has been paid. It's much easier to cut bait with him. I really do think that the Blue Jays thought Grichik would be or take a step forward this year. And they expected this from a lot of guys. Teoscar Hernandez, who's had a stint in Buffalo, has actually looked okay in center field and offensively since coming back. Luis Gurriel, they thought he'd be better from the start. He's looked better since coming back from a Buffalo stint as well. But guys who are just not performing just as many of us would have expected. I know Craig and I talked about this. Maybe 
This is something we do on next week's episode, but go back and listen to some of our off-season projections for guys and just discussing what projections were for guys like Gurriel and Grichik and Strollman and, and Giles and Sanchez and all these guys and see where we were right and see where we were wrong. I know right now I was wrong with Randall Grichik. I thought he was going to take a step forward this year, and I was thrilled when they signed him to an extension. I like Grichik a lot. There's a ton of good things there. Historically, he has had some really good underlying statistics, Randall Grichik has. If you go through his StatCast page, 2015 was a fantastic year. But things since 2015 for Grichik kind of have been trending in a bit of a troubling direction. The exit velocity continues to go down. In 2015, he was in the top 2% of the league with 92.3 exit velocity. 2016, he followed that up with 91.4, which was top 9% of the league. And in 2017, his last season with the Arizona Cardinals was 89.2. That went back up to 90.6 in 2018, his first season as a Blue Jay. And that was also his highest launch angle at 18.5. But this year has been down to 88.3. He's not barreling the ball nearly as much as he did a season ago. Right now, 8.1% of the time, Grichik is barreling the ball. In 173 batted balls, that's 14 barrels. Last year, in 305 batted balls, he barreled at 44% of the time and was in the top 4% of the league with 14.4% barrel. It's really good. He actually had a very good season once he got off the disabled list last year. Yes, it was called the disabled list last year, which is why I said that. But it has not been an overly kind season so far for Randall Grichik. The one little bit of... Optimism, maybe. He's raised his base on ball percentage by a full 1% to where it was last year, but there's still a lot of season left, and it's still not good enough. You'd think that he would actually walk a little bit more, but he's a big strikeout guy, so I guess it's not overly surprising. But his hard hit percentage is down to 36.4. Last year is 43.1. This is would be the lowest of his career by far, actually, so far. So they were definitely expecting more of him. But I will still defend the contract. Who else are you going to put in the outfield? There's nobody knocking on the door right now in Buffalo. Anthony Alford has been much better offensively lately. He's stealing bases. He's up to 11 stolen bases so far this year. Socrates Brito has actually been decent in Buffalo, but we're not going through that again. I hope we don't have to see them again. They had Jonathan Davis up here for a little while. Davis has not done much of anything. He was sent down to make room for Teoscar Hernandez who's doing all right in Buffalo. But, yeah, Alford getting better. He's up to four home runs, 24 RBIs, 237 average. Still not good enough. He's still got to put it together for a few more weeks. He could be up here soon. But there is nobody else. There really isn't. I think that's what Charlie Montoyo said when he was asked about Edwin Jackson getting another start. When he said there is nobody else, there really is nobody else in the outfield either. So I don't mind the Grichik extension. It really, in hindsight, is not a lot of money. It will be easy to cut bait with him if he just does never takes that next step forward. But by all accounts, great clubhouse guy. Fans like him. You're seeing more and more Grichik jerseys around the Rogers Center every single time you go. It's not a bad contract. I don't mind it. I'm still happy with it. Uh, obviously, I would have expected more. 
Well, let's go. Uh, let's go through and look at a few more Statcast stats. I love looking at Statcast through baseball. So one of my favorite things to take a look at, especially when it comes to the Blue Jays. And if you want a reason for optimism, there's been some pretty good performances so far this year. Behind Justin Smoke, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is barreling the ball 13% of the time. Rowdy Telez is right behind him with a 12.8, and Vladdy Jr., 11.9. And surprisingly, Brandon Jury, 10.4. Hasn't all been bad offensively. There's been some actually really good, or much better, than the actual batting averages. The expected batting average for guys is much higher. For example, Vlad Jr. has an expected batting average of 294, when his actual one is 248. Brandon Jury is batting average currently 225, expected batting average is 250. So the offense, when you think about it, has been extremely unlucky. And that is a trend for Danny Jansen as well. His actual batting average is 175, his expected batting average is 240. So there hasn't been a whole lot of good luck with this team so far. Injuries have obviously played a big factor to the rotation, to the offense. Just some inconsistent stars from guys at the beginning of a the season. There is room to grow. There's a ton of room to grow for these guys. And this is the season to figure out. It really is. Danny Jansen has been much better than his numbers show. Kevin Biggio has been better than his numbers show. There are other guys who it's been the complete opposite, like Randall Gritchick. Teoscar Hernandez has not been as good as his numbers show, even though his numbers actually aren't very good at all. Um, and Freddie Galvis, gosh, for a great start, but his 241 batting average is lucky. His expected batting average is 230. That hot start is exactly what Padres fans were saying. He gets off to hot starts, and then he cools off, and it's just pedestrian the rest of the way. So... Look, I don't know what they're going to do. It's going to be bleak for the rest of the year. It's not going to be very fun to watch. Luckily, they are hiding behind the shadow of the Raptors on the verge of bringing the first major championship to this city since the Blue Jays did it in 1993. But after that's done, you have Toronto FC and the Argonauts and the Toronto Wolfpack until the Leafs and the Raptors return. But baseball will be done by then. So from about... well. I guess the last possible Raptor game would be Sunday uh, in Toronto. So starting next week, when we record, Craig and I, the spotlight on Toronto sports, once the parade is done, hopefully, assuming there is a Raptors parade, once the hoopla of a possible NBA championship is done, the sports scene is going to be shifting solely on the Toronto Blue Jays, who are just a complete mess right now. They're 23-42. and 42. They go into the series in Baltimore. Just three games up on the Orioles. The Orioles are 20-45. and 45. And if you go and look at the entire MLB standings, the Toronto Blue Jays are not very far off from being one of the worst teams in all of baseball. You go through... The Orioles and Kansas City Royals are 20 and 45. The next worst team is the Miami Marlins at 23 and 41. And then the Toronto Blue Jays at 23 and 42. The Detroit Tigers at 24 and 38. And then the San Francisco Giants at 26 and 38. So you get it. 
the Blue Jays are a bottom five team. They're going to have a very high draft pick next year, which I guess isn't all bad. But one thing to think about when it comes to this trade deadline is does this front office go for quality in trade returns? Maybe you package a Ken Giles and a Marcus Stroman together to get that one stud prospect, whether it's an outfielder or a pitching prospect, or do they ship them off in separate deals to get quantity? That's one thing that Craig and I discussed last week. I think that opens up the discussion for next week when we're getting a little bit closer to the trade deadline, so I'll continue to tease that discussion as we go along and record together next week, potentially with a guest. But we'll see. We'll see how this week goes. I'm not going to touch on the Houston series. I'll leave that for Craig. The Blue Jays series against Baltimore Orioles currently shapes up as Trent Thornton against John Means today. John Means has been quite good for the Baltimore Orioles at 260-70 array and 50 strikeouts. Could be making a run at being Baltimore's All-Star Game representative. He's been quite good. Tomorrow night could be Edwin Jackson's final start. I don't think it is going to be. I think he actually will pitch decent against the Orioles and earn himself another turn through the rotation, much to the dismay of Blue Jays fans and to me. But really, there is nobody else that they could bring up. Montoyo mentioned it. That's probably going to be the title of this episode. There is nobody else. There is nobody else in the rotation who could come in and take over for Edwin Jackson. There is nobody else in the outfield who can come up and provide a spark to this offense. So, Edwin Jackson against David Hess. David Hess, as you would remember, had the best start of his career when he was throwing a no-hitter into the seventh inning and then was lifted in the seventh inning by Brandon Hyde. Since that start, David Hess has had a 8.20 ERA. So that just shows you how bad the Blue Jays' offense was within those first few weeks of the season. And then on Thursday, to wrap up the series, as I mentioned, Marcus Stroman is going to go up against Gabriel Enoa. You know, 0-2, 496 ERA, 28 strikeouts. And so far, the only thing I will say on the Astros series before Craig gets into it on Thursday, Garrett Cole is going Friday, Framber Valdez on Saturday, and then Sunday for the Houston Astros is still TBD, too, a little bit too far out to see. But Aaron Sanchez will open up that series, and Clayton Richard will pitch on Saturday. So... My picks to click this week. I went with Clayton Richard last week. It worked for me on Tuesday, even though that was kind of a gimme because I picked him after that Yankee start. I thought he'd be all right against the Diamondbacks. Completely wrong. So my pick to click this week is going to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Coming off a bit of a bad week, other than that home run that he hit against the Yankees. Some errors in the in the field, which to be expected. That's what Blue Jays' management was afraid of when he got up here. But also, um, a lack of hustle out of the box. You could tell Charlie Montoyo didn't seem too happy. I think Vlad Jr. against some weak pitching against Baltimore could be in for a big series at Camden Yards. And maybe he actually will be all right in Houston as well against some better pitching and a better offense. So I am going with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The Blue Jays fans hopefully going solo wasn't so bad. You had to listen to me speak for getting close to 40 minutes now, 35 minutes, all by myself. I'm tired. I need a glass of water. <laughs> and probably will watch some of the Blue Jays game tonight. 
until it just gets too unbearable to watch. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. The Blue Jays and Orioles, two of the worst teams in baseball, going at it tonight at Camden Yards. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Please send us a voice message. We would love to interact with you, have you on the show. And tweet us at BirdWatchingGC or at Panacar37 or at Craig Borden on Twitter. We are here to talk with you, interact with the fans. We want to do that. We want to get you on the show. Nobody took me up on my offer to join me as a guest today, which, you know what, I suppose it wasn't so bad. Got to record this as soon as I got home from work and get some stuff off my chest in relation to the Toronto Blue Jays. So a little bit of a different week, as I mentioned. Craig will record his show on Thursday. He's either going to go solo or with a guest, and we will be back together next week. Until then, Blue Jays fans, let's go Blue Jays. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.